I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Elaine Kalati, who describes herself as a serial entrepreneur. And we're going to be talking about the show, The Undercover Billionaire. The American dream is still alive, and three self-made entrepreneurs have set out to prove it. Each of Undercover Billionaire's three tycoons will once again start from scratch to prove you don't need anything but drive and good people to build something big. With only 90 days and nothing but $100 in their pockets, they will put $1 million on the line to go undercover and build a thriving million-dollar business for a small town in the U.S. Elaine Kalati, an entrepreneur since age 14, happily accepted the challenge, exchanging the comforts of home and even her driver's license to participate in season two of Undercover Billionaire on Discovery. She's a real estate developer, interior designer, and founder founder of the famous House of Rock in Santa Monica, California. Welcome to the show, Elaine. Hi. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to be on with you. I'm a huge fan, first of all. Well, great. Um, I'm I glad. Say that. say that out <laughs> loud. You. Shout that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, how we are hear you? About, I'm fine. I want to hear about you. I think good that's so exciting. Good morning to almost the end of twenty. Good morning to almost the end of 2020. <laughs> that's right. 2020. We're getting uh, into enjoy. We need your enthusiasm. We need all the stuff you're doing. And I, I, the first question I want to know is, how, how did they choose you I'm for not, the show? I'm not 100% sure. I know that Glenn, uh, who, you know, probably is, is really a billionaire, let's be frank. He's a very wealthy man, but he's also self-made, wanted to do something very prolific during COVID. And he selected people that were, you know, high net worth or earners that he thought could survive on the ground during COVID. And the three of us, I, I hope he, I hope he made the right decision. Um, with the three of us, you know, were, we didn't know about one another. Um, so I'm not a hundred percent sure how the, the process went. Um, I think that, uh, we all have similar kind of mindsets, but we do, we come about things in a very different way. So it wasn't like a selection process based on, you know, one specific thing. And, um, but it doesn't matter. I got to do it. And I, um, I uh, feel like it's something to be shared. You know, it's, it's a, it's not a show about having a lot of money. It's about, it's about a show about existential wealth is what it is. And um, I just think we need a little bit of that right now in this, in this day and age. Yeah, I would agree with you. And people think, well, if you have a lot of money, then first of all, they think everything's okay as long as you do have a lot of money. But you're talking about something really different, like taking up these challenges. And I, I kind of want to start with like, it's because I caught in the beginning, I said you're a serial, serial entrepreneur since the age of 14. Let's start. I want to start with your history. Like, how did that happen? 14 and you're an entrepreneur? I think it comes down to... Um, motivation of having choices. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer in having choices and the more we do to box ourselves in um, and become reliant on others, um, especially as women, I would say more, more than anything, especially as women, um, the, the harder it is, you know, to break out of, of our dependencies, whatever they are, because we've created, you know, our own, our own prison, our own box. And at very young, I was very attuned to wanting to do what I wanted to do. Um, then I had, you know, opportunities that were 
you know, business, business opportunities that I didn't see as business opportunities. I just saw them as, you know, things that were fun and cool to do. Um, I enjoy work. You know, that, it helps if you enjoy what you're doing. I couldn't wait to get a paycheck. I couldn't wait. I loved the idea that I was like part of the capital market and I could go out and spend money. Um, but really it wasn't about, it's never really about that. And that's something that I've learned over a very long period of time. It's really about our personal freedom and it's about our existential value. What do we believe about ourselves, you know? And um, I decided at 55 years old to try to recreate something that I had done you know, as a child, many times as a, as a, as a young adolescent, um, as a, you know, as a, a kind of mid twenties, you know, very serious music, you know, junkie as a thirties mom, you know, as a forties, you know, entrepreneur, business builder. And, you know, and then in my fifties, I was like, I wonder if I could just do it all over again. You know, can I? And my family was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm telling you, I think this is the time to do something like this. And um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the show coming out and people getting to see the kind of motivated team that I was able to put together and, and how incredibly empowering these people are. It's unbelievable, really, what they did, what they pulled off. It's so exciting. And I'm going back to your own history because it said you grew up as a military brat. Uh, or that's a, traveling through Europe and you're with your parents. And I always want to go back to that, you know, you're talking about this, uh, you as a person who wants a challenge and you sounds like, I mean, you get a high from it. It's, it's, uh, it's exciting. It's rewarding. It's all of those things. But did that spirit come from your mother, your father, or both? What helped to create that in you? That's an interesting question about probably genetics versus, you know, your environment. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of experts in the field that really support both sides very well. Um, so uh, this is my personal experience. If you are exposed to things at a younger age, you're probably going to be less afraid of them. Um, so I, I was exposed to a lot of things when I was young. Um, if you support your kids when they're little in a very positive, loving way, even when they're not doing what you want them to do, um, they're, they, you build confidence in them. And I was exposed to a lot of confidence. My parents were very supportive of me, and I had a good, lucky family upbringing. Now, that's not to say that my dad was around a lot. My father traveled all the time because of his military uh, obligations. He was gone a lot. Um, but my mom was a very self-sufficient uh, woman uh, and child. She was an orphan and grew up in an orphanage and didn't have any of the traditional, you know, uh, tasks or skill set that it takes to raise children. She just kind of did it on the fly. And between the two of them, they raised, you know, three really unique kids. We're all very different. My brothers are very different than I am. And, um, and we all have, you know, interesting parts of our personality and we all have some very big shortcomings, you know, um, and we don't get hung up on the shortcomings. That's how we were raised. Get on with it. You have two, you have two brothers. Is that what you said? So there's three of you. So your brothers, they're very different than you. You said, okay, so how are they Very, different? What are my, they doing? One of my brothers is an attorney. <laughs> one of my brothers is an attorney, and he's a criminal lawyer, and he's a, and he's a tough cookie. Um, but he'll defend anybody. You know, he will. He'll defend anybody. 
Um, and and I, I admire him for that. You know, I admire him for, for taking the side of those who cannot defend themselves, um, even when they've really, really done something wrong. Um, and then my other brother, uh, he's, he's, kind of a, he's kind of an interesting guy because he's in real estate in his own way, which is kind of cool. He does title work. But what, he, what, he's, what he's done with his life is, is, you know, also create his own business so that he's had his own, you know, uh, freedoms. And he's, a tr- he's just a love bug. He's the guy you want to be your brother. You know, he's my, my uncle Brian to my kids. They love him. He's the favorite uncle. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so you're all very different. You've taken different paths, although you both like all three of you. It sounds like, like a challenge. I mean, there is that commonality, right? I mean, exciting, getting ahead, whatever the field happens to be. Um, so you're similar in that way. Uh, the other thing about you is like you've been in so many different, you've been successful at so many different kinds of businesses. And very often, you know, people say, well, if you want to do well, you know, you have to focus, you have to be passionate about one thing, focus on that, and that's what you should do. But you can do, you've just been able to do that in so many different arenas. Um, How? I'm not a unfocused person when I have to get something done, but I am generally um, quite capable of handling a lot of tranches in my head. Like there's many different things going on at the same time and I can appear at a table or, you know, at an event rather preoccupied um, because I am completely and fully preoccupied in my head. And um, so that's, that's the juggling of, of, you know, constant ideas and excitement. It's, that's all it is. It's constant ideas and excitement all the time about everything. Um, and then it's peppered with humor. I, um, I think a lot of things are funny, even when they sh- I should not think they are funny, Catherine. <laughs> but I do. I, I find things to be light- lighthearted sometimes because... The, of the situations we find ourselves in, you know, the predicaments we get ourselves in, the irony of all of it, I find funny. Um, so that is very specific to what we now call in this world, which I do not like and I do not support, is attention deficit disorder. It is not a disorder. It is a gift on the head, just kissed by God right there on the top of my head. The ability to sort of contemplate a lot of things at the same time. Um, and I tell my, my son who is so similar to me, I say, you, you're on the brink of genius all the time. You just have to use your power for good instead of evil. You've got to remember that you're going a little bit too fast for your feet, and you just got to slow down just enough to get your feet underneath you all the time, and you won't crash and burn. And um, we all have all these personality, you know, little hiccups everywhere. We have people that, you know, clean a lot, or we have people that, you know, um, are very meticulous about how things are organized or people that, you know, can count really fast. And you think about all these, you know, skill sets that you have and we try to put them into boxes when really we should be using them to advance ourselves. And how can we do that? How can a person who's extremely, I, I can tell you right now, I would not want a person with attention deficit disorder, quote unquote, you know, doing my heart operation. But I would love a guy with, you know, with OCD to do it. I, I just think we have to think about what our skill sets are and stop trying to say, oh, this is your problem, but rather this is your beauty and you need to take that and advance it. 
especially in children, especially yeah, in children. I think that I totally agree with you. I think that is that's really key. Know your skill sets, but also be aware of what your skills are. Right? I mean, understand where you're coming from. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't necessarily take time to do that. Constantly be aware of of what you're capable of or what you're not capable of. I guess too. Uh, um, and that starts that's, so young, right? That starts yes. when people are little, like little babies. Work, you know, they're. One's faster than the other. He's a good runner. One plays, picks up every instrument. He's going to be a musician, you know? One is organizing, you know, their closet. It doesn't, whatever it is. And you empower their beauty, you know? And they start to grow on that. And I was very empowered as a child. And, um, you know, my dad used to call it my individuality. I was like, what, what, what does that even mean? Because you and your individuality. <laughs> but, uh, but it was important to me. It was important not to stick out, it, not, not, to, not to blend in, not to stick out, to move forward. What's next? And I'm right now with what's next. And what I think we need to do this year and right away and do not delay is we need to talk about existential wealth. We need to understand what the existentialist was. What was that category of philosophy and why did people seek meaning? Because I think we've kind of lost track of it. I, um, I was, I was uh, going to do this interview with a big you know, money company. I'm not going to name names, but the, 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 uh-huh. the interesting thing was, was, you know, like I only interview, you know, billionaires. And I thought, well, how do you calculate that? Like, do you, do you calculate that in what currency? The dollar? I mean, is that really the only currency we're working in? What about, you know, someone's entrepreneurialism or someone's music talent or someone's athletic talent or someone's, you know, ability to, you know, counsel people and, and you know, guide people? And, you know, what about someone who's a spiritual leader or you, what, are, what, what are their values and how does that calculate into an actual balance sheet? What is your existential balance sheet? Because without it, you can't motivate people. You don't know what you're dealing with. And they don't know what they they don't know what their skills are. And I want to really spend some time on it this year. I'm going to create an entire platform trying to understand what, what people who have nothing can do to have something. Well, does this come I mean obviously it does come in the context of what's happened to all of us around the world globally in the past year, like COVID. It's in the I mean is it seems to me, right? How do we do this in this context? Because everything's changed. Nothing will be the same again. And this, you know, contemplating, as you say, existential wealth is probably really key right now for for all of us globally. It's critical to our survival. It's critical to our survival as a culture and as as, as, as individuals and as a culture. It's critical to our survival that we count our blessings. And what we're not doing in, when, we're, when we're not in groups, right, we're not being social. And the minute that you take away the socialization of the human being, you've taken away, you've stripped the human being of what they really need to feel fulfilled and happy. And we don't do well in isolation. And no, very few things do well in isolation. Very, very few things do well in isolation. And I'm... Um, fairly confident that we'll come out of this um, in a very interesting, unexpected way. And in that is we will have all been reset in terms of how important it is to have a stable home environment, how important it is to have 
family, how important it is to have a place that you feel safe. Um, these are things that we've kind of taken for granted, and 2020 has definitely reignited the home. It's reignited the um, need to have, you know, take care of your family and take care of people that are close to you. Um, a lot of people would say that we lost our humanity not visiting our, um, you know, sick in hospitals and being stopped from doing that, right? But um, we got to that point by exposing people to our illnesses, right? Not protecting elderly. We created a, an environment that was unhealthy. Um, do I think that COVID is the worst thing that's ever happened? I absolutely do not. What I do think, though, is it's a fire drill. Um, we, we had to learn how to deal with something that really would massively wipe out humans and the human race. And we haven't ever had an exercise in it. And it's been brought up in history. I think um, the, the first president, uh, Bush, um, Bush, President Bush Sr., somebody wrote a paper on it. Um, it's just, it's, it's hard to contemplate doing this. Like, this just sounds so outrageous, right? If, you, if, if, it, if I hadn't lived it, I wouldn't believe it. But we had to, I think, to some degree. For a lot of reasons, ha- and I think the yeah, positive- for a lot of re- well, you're calling this a fire drill, a fire drill for what's going to happen in the future because there's going to be other stuff like this happening, and we need to know how to respond and in, in in the ways that you've been talking about. They're going to be more pandemics. They're going to be. This is this. I mean, to me, I think it's just it's, when you say fire drill, I think that's the right word. Uh, this is only the beginning of what we're going exactly. to be. It's you got to yeah. practice, right? You go to school and you have to practice. How do you get out of the building? The building's burning, and it's important, and it's it's been very costly. There's going to be a reset of a lot of things, um, but if going forward in the future something is you know on on the ground that's wiping people out for going outside, it will not be unfamiliar to stay home. People will be like, "Oh gosh, you know we need to stay home." Like it not. What is this? Why do I have to wear a mask? Why do I have to go here? Why do I have to go there? We'll all be familiar. And um, I think that's the best I can say about this experience for all the naysayers and all the people that are, because I too am like, I don't like my freedom being taken away. Um, I'm an American. I believe in freedom of speech. I believe in freedom of walking around and running and no mask and eating where I want. I believe in all of it. I've grown up on it. But I also don't want to make other people sick and be completely and totally and utterly consumed with my own needs and forgetting about those that are immune, you know, intolerant of something like this. Yeah. How do you reconcile uh, that? You know, public health has been something that we've all, I think, sort of ignored. And now we've politicized public health, haven't we? Like you're saying, yes, I want my freedom. I want to be able to do what I want to do, but in certain circumstances, you can't for the greater good for everybody else. I mean, that's how I, you know, so I wear a mask, I distance, I do what the public health officials tell me to do, because I'm not going to, I don't want to hurt other people or make them sick. And I think we've gotten ourselves into that situation. I don't know how you get away from the politics of all this. I don't know. um, Give me your take on, yeah. Not to to like, point out the obvious, but, you know, we've got this, we're in California, we've got this problem, you know, where everyone's really given Gavin Newsom a really hard time, and I, um, I don't know the man, I'm, I would like to meet him and sit down and talk to him, mostly about homelessness, but, um, you know, somebody said, ah, you know, he's closing down this, and I thought to myself, well, 
I don't know, you know, what you do when you're in office, right? And no matter what you do, you're going to be criticized for it. So let's just for one minute play the game that he says, okay, we're going to keep patios open because we got to let, you know, people be able to go outside and eat. And then, you know, a couple of people get sick and die from COVID because the patios were open. Now he's going to be painted as this guy that didn't take it seriously. And they did that to Donald Trump when he said something cavalier, right? So you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't if you're in politics with something like this. There's no right answer. And I, you know, I just wish people would, you know, cut, cut everybody a break here. There's no right answer. And um, remember that, you know, politics is a thankless job. It really is. I mean, it's, they're poorly paid and they take a lot of flack. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't <laughs> matter how hard they're working. Right? It it's a nasty job. <laughs> it's awful. I mean, she's been at it forever, for God's sake. <laughs> like, but I don't know how anyone could sustain it. I don't know how Donald Trump sustained it. I don't know how anyone sustained it. It's just, well, it's brutal. It's brutal, but I think it's, you know, you talk about the energy that you have and the passion that you have for doing what you do. People who get into politics have that same kind of passion. They like it. It it, it, you know, whichever side they're on and it excites them and they, you know, that's, that's just the audience that they like. I think, I mean, I, I too, I could never do that, but anyway, um, you're an optimist. I want to really work on, I really want to work on this year about creating a platform for people that have nothing at all for no reason. What is what is their skill set? Find your skill set. Find your passion. When and you say, I have to interrupt you, I mean, you say have nothing. Have nothing because they feel they have nothing or they have nothing. And what does that mean, they have nothing? Well, it, they are one and the same. If you feel you have nothing, you have nothing. You know, if you feel that way, you have nothing. If you have no confidence, then you, you likely probably don't have a job. And if you don't have a job, you probably don't have any money or assets. It's, you have to feel good about yourself to really be productive. Um, it's very hard to be productive when you're depressed or, or you have zero confidence or you're being constantly pushed down. It, it's hard to be productive. Productivity comes from probably the most important thing, and that's your internal energy to move things forward, right? That is, that's your, your center, your ener- this thing that propels people. Some people have a lot of energy like me, and some people have a little bit of energy. But that is what moves you forward. And if you have no energy to do anything, if that has been stripped by your confidence being removed, it's impossible to have anything. It's not, it's, this, is, this is very visible. I mean, how do you go out into a park and pick up someone who's been, you know, using drugs, completely lost their center, they have no idea what's up or down, and they don't have a home, and they don't have clothes, and they can't get their hair cut, they can't bathe, they can't go for a job, they can't get themselves clean. Um, They don't have a starting point. And then people say, oh, there's plenty of places for them to go. Well, not really. There isn't. And with homelessness especially, which is probably the lowest common denominator of nothing because you have no shelter, right? We, we We don't divide it up by categories. You know, homeless people that cannot live in an environment because of, you know, mental health issues. Homeless people that are there because of domestic violence or have just completely lost every job they've had. Homeless people that are homeless because they want to be because they're doing drugs and, you know, living petty theft lives and and very completely content being a little high and and taking as they go. I mean, there's all kinds of different walks of homelessness. 
But you can't group them all together and send them all to the same place. They don't have any common interests. They don't have any common drive. And we have to split it up. And, we've, and it's hard. It's a very hard topic. But it's important. You know, it's important because it makes people feel really out of sorts when they walk downtown to go into their business and we have people on the steps. Or they have to go into an alley or go into their home and we have people there that they don't know what they're going to do and you don't feel safe. And then the well, we need people, people. We need people like you doing what you're doing. And uh, we have one minute left. I, ha- I have to cut you off. I hate to. I'd like to keep going. Believe me, we have one minute left. So I want you to tell us just in terms of uh, undercover billionaire. What? Give us a website. Web, you know, in terms of of the show, in terms of what you're doing, and also maybe. Well, you can web- find me on yeah. lipstick. You can find me on lipstick farmer. Um, on Instagram, I'm I'm lipstick farmer on Instagram, and the okay. reason I'm lipstick farmer is because I'm a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, lipstick farmer, Elaine Kalati. Lipstick farmer, yep. And you can find me on elainekalati.com. You can find me on lipstick farmer. You can find me. I'm easy to find. I'm not hiding from anybody. All right, you're out there. Thanks so much for being on the I show today. I don't mind being out there, Catherine. <laughs> thank you so much. It was thank great you talking so much. to you. You're so yeah. great. Great. You too. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 